you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What's up, everybody? This is Evan Ingram, tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and this is the NFL Report. Welcome into the NFL Report. James Palmer, Steve Weich with you on the eve of Thanksgiving. And Steve, I had already a gluttonous performance at Casa Bonita (laughs) this Thanksgiving week, eating mounds of Mexican food while going back to a Denver staple that has been rejuvenated by the stars of South Park in Trey Parker and Matt Stone. I appreciate those guys going and sinking millions into something every kid in Denver has enjoyed. People were jumping from cliffs. We had puppet shows. We had magic acts. Nick's had the greatest time in the world. And I just, it was kind of my uh, gear up for Thanksgiving festivities on Thursday. Well, James, I'm glad you're going to be hitting the treadmill soon. But in the famous words of the great actor Donald Sutherland from The Dirty Dozen, when he's impersonating a general, an inspection of troops, never heard of it. So sorry to oh, wet blanket sadly. on your Casa Bonita experience, but I, I'm I'm glad you you How's got for the kids enjoy- out there. Hey, that's South right. Hey, J- JP, we do have an incredible NFL report on this eve of Thanksgiving. We have Colts oh, linebacker Zaire is. Franklin, who leads the NFL in solo tackles. He's got a lot to say about what's going on with his club. Mark Ross, the former NFL exec, and our own Judy Batista. They're going to be chopping it up about some coaching and GM news. We'll be joined by Jane Slater with the latest on the Cowboys, who play, of course, on Thanksgiving. And Cameron Wolf will be covering the big AFC South battle with the Jags and the Houston Texans. We'll see if the Texans can sweep them to get that tiebreaker, JP. I love that. That's a monster game. Who would have thought we'd be saying that? A monster right? game in the right? AFC South with two playoff teams right now, the Jags and the Texans. But let's start this off, Steve, with the number one team in the NFL. We saw the Philadelphia Eagles get their okay. revenge Monday night in Arrowhead. So as we talk so much about the AFC and all that's going on in that conference, let's go to the NFC. And now that the Eagles sit there at 9-1, and one, Is anyone a real threat to this team, the best team in football, which we will say, I think their best attribute as a team is they know how to win. And I think that is obviously extremely important. They are in the middle of a six-game murderer's row situation that they are now 2-0 and at the start of, where they've beaten the Cowboys and they've beaten the Chiefs, who those two teams were a combined 13-4 and this season. They have started off this stretch in tremendous fashion. So I ask you this. Who is the biggest threat in the NFC to the Philadelphia Eagles right now? Because the four big ones are all playing on Thanksgiving. Yeah, that, that's a great point. We're, we're asking this question because of the Eagles' schedule. And like you said, they found a way to win. Against Kansas City, they made like three offensive plays. And they won that game. So, mm-hmm. so they're, they're their dangerous team. But let's look at a team like the Dallas Cowboys, right, who, who they're going to get again. Of course, that Thanksgiving staple. I don't know if Dallas is the biggest threat. I think San Francisco is the biggest threat. And when we talk about biggest threat, I'm talking about if they play like the NFC Championship deep in the playoff games right there. The Niners, the reason why I say this is because the Niners can play in cold weather, right? They run the football. They tackle the ball well. They can pursue. Brock Purdy, one of our leading candidates for the MVP here on the NFL Report, is somebody who should play in cold weather. He He played in cold weather in college at Iowa State. So I think San Francisco 49ers, our team, but Dallas, we saw they went toe to toe. Dallas is playing good football with them, you know, because of their defense. Who could play with them? And there's really only, I don't know, Detroit. Maybe it's interesting, JP, because when, when I get to this, home field adva- advantage is everything. It is everything because mm-hmm. you know the Niners don't want to play there. Detroit, a dome team, does not want to have to play in Philadelphia in the cold. But if either one of those teams gets home field advantage, JP. Do you think that bothers the Eagles whatsoever? 
I don't think it does. Not after going into Arrowhead on a sloppy night yeah. and yeah. Being, taking care of business the way they did. I don't think if Detroit gets the number one seed, which honestly, if you look at their schedule they the rest could. of the way out, they might be the biggest threat to get the number one seed agree. away from the Philadelphia Eagles. This is what they have left. Packers, Saints, Bears, Broncos, Vikings, Cowboys, Vikings. Who's to say that this Cinderella story with Josh Dobbs and the Vikings has really fallen apart by the end of the season and they play the Vikings twice with the Cowboys in the middle of that? There's a chance with the schedule and the way Detroit is playing that they could slide into that number one seed. But I don't think the Niners would be scared to go to Detroit. I don't think the Eagles would be scared to play on the road in Detroit. And now when I look at the San Francisco 49ers as probably the biggest threat to the Philadelphia Eagles, let's look in the near future before we look at the postseason They play each other in two weeks. I'm curious what happens to Philadelphia after the emotional high that they were on in this revenge game against the Kansas City Chiefs. They get that. Do they have a lull against the Bills before they face the Niners, who I think, Steve, are essentially in two weeks in Philadelphia going to be going through the same thing Philadelphia went through this past week, right? It's kind of their Super Bowl. After what happened in the NFC Championship game, they've had this game circled just as Philly had that game circled with the Kansas City Chiefs. Of the three teams we're talking about, I think we talk about all of them because they're all having really good quarterback play right now, from Dak Prescott to Jared Goff, your sleeper for the MVP conversation, and Brock Purdy, who's no sleeper for the MVP conversation on this show. If the Cowboys can continue to remain balanced, as I covered them last week, if the run game continues to evolve and become more prominent, then Dallas is dangerous. I think the 49ers, obviously, we mentioned – clicking on all cylinders with the way that they throw the football and the way the Eagles have struggled against the pass. I think all three of these teams could be a threat in a different manner, but at the same time, when it comes to the postseason, I don't know if the Eagles are intimidated by any of them. I just love the fact we're talking about the Detroit Lions possibly getting the number one seed in the NFC. But right now, it's a chance. It's a chance. It could very well happen. Very, I think it's, it's almost probable looking at their schedule. But let's flip it over to the AFC because the Kansas City Chiefs, Right, the team where Patrick Mahomes has never played a road playoff game. They look kind of vulnerable, JP. They look vulnerable. And we could sit here and say, okay, their defense is great, this and that. But if your receivers aren't making plays like they could make Monday night, they seem like they could get got. Or could they, JP? Is this a team (laughs) when all is said and done coming coming into the AFC that they're really – that down that that some team might be able to get them? No, I, I actually really don't think so. Yes, you're a pro- you have a problem when you haven't scored a point in the second half in each of the last yeah, that's three a problem. games. Problem. But I also that's a problem. That's a real problem when you have drops like you were this one you're seeing on the deep ball to Marquez Valdez Scantling, and you have more drops than anybody else in football from your skill position guys. But I also look at what the situation they're in in the AFC right now in the playoff picture. Joe Burrow is out for the season. Deshaun Watson, out for the season. Justin Herbert is sitting in 13th in the AFC right now. Those are some big threat quarterbacks that Patrick Mahomes doesn't have to worry about. Yes, Lamar Jackson, dynamite threat. Him? Yes. He doesn't have Mark Andrews right now. He does not have Mark Andrews right now. And then you're looking at DTR in the postseason right now. You're looking at C.J. Stroud in the postseason. You're looking at, who else? Trevor Lawrence and Tua Tungabailoa. Come on, man. and, and, And Kenny Pickett. That's where things stand. My point of this is is this. If your biggest issue and fixing it involves a Hall of Fame head coach and the best player on the planet, I think your chances of turning it around are probably greater than if you had another issue within your team. I think it is definitely an issue now that we're 11 games into the season, that this is a problem within the offense. But I do think one drop, Steve, that Marquez Valdez-Scantling catch, and we're having a different conversation. They could be that close. I don't think they're as vulnerable as we think because they could ride their defense almost through the rest of the postseason. Oh, JP called called the Chiefs to be the the uh, Super Bowl champion Ravens team that got there without being able to score. But you know what? I'm actually with you because I think when you, as long as you have number 15, as long as you have Patrick Mahomes, yep. that's going to help you. This loss will humble them. They made the type of fixable mistakes that they can get corrected. And besides the drops, great point. The offensive penalties, it seemed like every time they had something going, they would get a hold or something in that regard that would bring them back. So I think they can actually get it back. But I do think a team like Miami and absolutely the Ravens 
It might be able to get them. I do think they're vulnerable. So another team in the playoff on JP, maybe they can't get the Chiefs. The Indianapolis Colts. They are oh, here. Let's go. They are in the picture. Coming up next, we're talking to the tackling machine, their linebacker, Zaire Franklin. Coming up next on the NFL Report, really and this is going to be good. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Our back to the NFL report with one of the NFL's top tacklers, the tackling machine, JP. The Indianapolis Colts linebacker, Zaire Franklin. But Zaire, before we get to football and all that good stuff, okay, you and your teammate EJ Speed have a podcast, The Trenches. So, you know, how how, how did how did James and I kind of get on your plane, man? Like, how do we like how do we make it happen? Like you guys are making <laughs> yeah. it happen. We need pointers. Yeah, you gotta help us out here. No, we listen, man. You know, me and Speed, you know, we just on there, you know, just kind of laughing, telling the stories about the league. Uh, you know, from two guys' perspective that's, you know, been special teamers, uh, been 30, day three uh, picks, uh, you know, guys that just, you know, that knows the ends and I know what it's like to make a roster, know what it's like to make a game-changing play. So we just try and get that respect. But we appreciate We need, you know, the analytical side, honestly. You know, the invitation is always open. We need that, you know, just to fact check because, you know, the players think we always right. <laughs> JP, I'm good to come on whenever you are. I'm writing that down right now. <laughs> That's a formal invite. I'm writing it down. So, invite to the trans. God. Well, you mentioned making. Listen, Zaire, you mentioned making game game changing plays in that part of that. You are on pace right now for 221 tackles. Well, nobody <laughs> has had more than 200 tackles in 30 years. First off, are we going to be over 200 tackles? Are we? Hey, look. I, I know I'm supposed to say one at a time, but look, I'm ready to roll, man. You know, I feel like, you know, when I'm out there in, in, yeah. in, in, the, in the game, um, you know, obviously my coaches put me in a position to, you know, continue to make plays and be at the point of attack, man. I'm just trying to take advantage of it. man. I, I, every, every game, I'm just, it's not like I got out there with a number in mind. I'm just out there trying to help my team win. But, hey, look, if we're on the pace that we're going, you know, hopefully I'm able to, you know, reach that, that height. Okay, so with that said, I, I'm curious, in your mind, if you were to teach tackling or, or had to give your philosophy on it, what would you say it makes a good tackler? And how much of it is, I look at the path you've had to where you're at, how much of it is mental and want to? Um, well, I would say tackling is all a mentality. It's, it's an energy. It's a, it's a mindset, uh, whether it's open space, um, just understanding you know, I kind of think of myself like uh, Steve. What's my man, Steve Irwin, the uh, Crocodile, Crocodile uh, Wrangler? Crocodile Yeah, Hunter. yeah I feel Hunter. like every week. I feel, yeah. I, feel, I feel like every week I'm out, I'm out there tackling a different type of animal. You know, what I mean, I'm out there in the jungle. I'm out there in the <laughs> swamp. It. I'm out there. I'm wrestling whales. Uh, but I think uh, honestly, it's just a mentality um, that you got to approach it with. And uh, you know, I think obviously you want to hit a good tackle is when you knock them uh, backwards or sideways. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little old school in my approach, so I feel like you got to be very physical. They got to not want to get tackled by you anymore. Um, yeah. I think it's just a mentality. It's an energy. Love it. So tell me this. I got a two-parter here for you. So you talk about the open field tackling. Do you think you playing on special teams for a couple of years and that kind of being the way you've made your way in this league has helped you become a better open field tackler? Oh, no question. Um, you know, just running down on kickoff, yeah. having to make a decision, do I – you know, two-hand press and, and, and work a guy in, in space, or do I try to go with leverage or against leverage? Um, how to make a tackle against, honestly, their most dynamic player on their team in space, uh, whether that was kickoff or a punt. I definitely feel like, you know, that's helped me, whether that's making plays against receivers on the outside, on the perimeter, or even trying to run down and make plays in a screen game. Um, I definitely felt like, you know, I've taken a different experiences and lessons that I learned in special teams and applied them to defense. So let me ask the second part of this. With every week, us seeing penalties going against defensive players for what looked like just physical types of hits, 
How do you adjust to make a tackle with the speed of the NFL so you don't get flagged or fined, but also you do your job accordingly? It's tough. You know, I won't lie to you and say that, you know, they're making it almost impossible for us. Uh, sometimes I feel like they don't want us to tackle these guys sometimes. I mean, they're banning us. I never even heard of a hip-hop hip drop tackle until they told me what it was. You know, I've never gone into a tackle and thought to myself, you know, I think I'm going to use this technique in this moment. I just, you know, see Zay Flowers and know that he runs a 4-3 and understand that I got to get him down. You know, that's kind of how it goes. But... Um, you know, I think, you know, for, you know, myself, I think it's just obviously seeing what you hit is the biggest thing. I think when you tackle with your eyes up um, and your head up, I think that's kind of the biggest emphasis. I know the league is trying to protect guys both from being tackled and the tackler uh, from them head on collisions. Obviously, you don't want to go for a guy's head or neck area, but, you know, the speed of the game is, is what it is. And um, sometimes, you know, physical plays happen. I'm, I'm a firm believer that football is a physical sport. You meant to, the physical side of the game is meant to be in it. Um, and I think to take that away is taking away the fabric of what makes the game great. I, I got to ask you real quick, then, Zaire, like, what, what is the conversation like with officials on the field? Are you trying to figure this out? What are they explaining to you? from your side of things when some of these flags come on the field as you guys are almost trying to figure out how to do your job, it seems like, within the parameters they're allowing you to do it? I mean, you know, sometimes, honestly, I feel like it's a little bit of a back and forth. Um, you know, I understand, you know, okay. when a receiver's in a defensive defenseless position, you know, try not to take advantage of that as much as you can. Um, honestly, they're hitting us with fines on plays that you don't even get the flag for. Yeah. So sometimes you, you yeah. make a play and you don't get the flag, and then you find out Friday that you lost 30000 So, oh. um, you know, it's just it's just uh, <laughs> it's a tough league, man. It's a tough league, but look, us defensive players, we're trying, we trying to make it work. So you throw a tough league. You guys as, as a team just went through something tough on Tuesday, and that was when the team decided to part ways with your room, your, 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 your meeting roommate, Shaquille Leonard, who you came in with, in the draft, how how tough is that? Because I saw your repost and how you you know you explained how much he meant to you and your career. Um, what can you tell us about Shaq and then this decision, how it's impacting you and maybe the team as a whole? Oh man, I got to be honest. Uh, you know, just being there, here, uh, you know, obviously I understand it's a business, um, and you know, business decisions have to be made. But you know, just for me personally, you know, we were drafted together. We roomed together to get uh, our rookie year on the road. Um, you know, his locker's been next to mine for six years now. Um, so, you know, just not having him in the building, not having him that we was, you know, we, we, we was coffee. We would meet at the coffee station. Now we're getting older now. We got to drink coffee. We're not like the young <laughs> boys just wake up with energy no more. Um, but no, nah, that, that, that's, that's my guy, man. Um, you know, obviously, you know, tough situation. I know he's been fighting through a lot of adversity. Um, he knows I care about him. He knows I believe in him, um, and I have no doubt in my mind. Um, first off, the impact that he made here is, you know, forever lasting, and um, no doubt in my mind that, you know, he'll have bigger and better things in the future. And I told him, look, man, that second act of your career is going to be beautiful, man. Um, the NFL is full of great stories, and, you know, yours is, has no short of uh, uh, overcoming adversity in it. So I know he'd be ready for it. Zaire, you mentioned that this is a business. You mentioned his impact. I look at I'm on on you know social media watching him do an interview about this while he's giving turkeys to needy families in the Indianapolis community. Yeah. Can you kind of take us into your community in Indianapolis right now because we know he had a special connection with the people that watch you guys and root for you guys and kind of what's going on maybe in the city right now just from a human standpoint with the with his release? Well, yeah. Um you know, it's obviously it's tough holiday time. Um you know, he's He's been here for six years. This is the only team he's known, the only city he's been in, you know, outside of South Carolina. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, even though it didn't end the way he wanted to, um, me knowing uh, Shaquille, um, I think, you know, his last act of service and being seen in that light, you know, giving back to the community that he feels gave so much to him. Um, I know that's how he would want to be remembered. Um, so, you know, I think it's just kind of poetic in the sense that, um, you know, it, it worked out that way. Um, and you know, that we, we do that drive every year. Um, it's been, it's been, you know, it's been that way, mm -hmm. uh, since, since we was young pups, just pulling up to the team, uh, function. So, um, you know, it's good to see that. I know service is a big deal for him. I know this community means a lot to him. So, 
uh, I'm glad that at least he had a chance to, you know, be out there with the people um, on that day. Zaire, you're five and five. Coming off the bye, you got the Bucks this week. Do you feel like this is a playoff team? Because you're in the mix. Look, I mean, I, we've been in this league long enough. We've seen it long enough. Look, it's November, December. Um, and sometimes it's about who gets hot at the right time. You know, we've been a team that uh, have had some meteoric uh, end of the season runs. Um, you know, it felt good to get those two wins uh, right before the bye. Um, but look, now, it's, you know, we're all fresh off the bye. We got seven games left. Um, we're at 500. Um, everything is right in front of us, but we just got to take it one week at a time. Um, you know, we believe in our team, believe in our defense, believe in our offense, believe in our head coach. Um, like I said, we're just going to take it one game at a time. Let the chips fall where they're going to be. You mentioned your head coach. This is the last one I have for you, Zaire. You look at where you guys have gotten in this season and the way it started with Jonathan Taylor not really participating and, and you lose Anthony Richardson and everything you guys have been through, a through as a team. And you mentioned Steve saying you guys are right there and you saying anything is possible. What has Shane Steichen done in his first year that stands out maybe most to you as a rookie head coach and navigating all that you guys have been through and have you in the spot you're in? Man, um, you know, I just think, you know, for this to be his first you know opportunity as a head coach, I think he's done a, a tremendous job of just navigating the ups and turns, the ups and downs and twists and turns of an NFL season. Um, you know, I think regardless, and we have no shortage of controversy on our side. I think that's just the, the truth of it. Um, and I think he's done a great job yeah. of just – you know, focus, keep keeping the focus in the building on ball, keeping the focus in the building on the next opponent in, in front of what was in front of us. Um, I think he's established a, an, an incredible culture of accountability um, and competitiveness in the building. And I think that's just, you can feel that, you know, from top to bottom. Um, and I think that's why we're in a position where we're in now. And I think that's why we're going to go where we're going. Hey, real quick, Zaire, one of our colleagues, Brian Baldino, loves breaking down your film. Do you ever watch some of Baldy's breakdowns, and what do you think about those? Oh, man, I've been watching Brian Baldy breakdown since I was a kid. Philly legend. Yes. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, right. yeah, man, I'm a huge fan of Baldinger for sure. Uh, yeah, so I always used to watch his uh, breakdowns. When I finally got one, I told him, I said, I felt like I made it. Um, and then I got a couple of them in a row, and I was like, okay, I must be playing. I must be playing good ball out here. Uh, Baldinger's giving me a shout-out, so yeah. definitely shout-out to Baldy. There we go. That's little, awesome. Baldy's yeah. on the show every Thursday. Every Thursday. Hey, man, look, we appreciate you. And we look forward to doing your thing, getting you back on here. You got to do me and JP a silent too and get us on the trenches out here. Thanks so much. Bro, best I'm, of luck I'm to you, man. You got to zoom y'all oh. in. <laughs> he yes, said sir, it. of course. He said it. I wrote it down. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Best of luck. Thank you, man. Appreciate you guys. More to come on the NFL report. Zach Wilson officially benched. What does it mean? For the Jets organization, how about GM Joe Douglas? What do they do about the decisions they made with the number two former overall pick? That and much more, specifically about the coordinator's future. Perhaps collateral damage? More on the NFL Report coming up next. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What is Zach's future with this team? Uh, we'll deal with it in the offseason, guys. Um... Right now, it's just, it's really about Miami. I stand, stand strong in the belief that Zach's going to have a really good career in this league. Um, he's got tremendous work ethic. He's gotten a lot better over the course of the last year. Uh, he definitely has the arm talent. He just needs, he's only 24. He just turned 24. So um, he's got a positive outlook and, uh, and he just needs to continue to focus on his game and find ways to get better and continue to learn about fronts and coverages and, and how to play the game a little bit faster. And, uh, uh, and so I, I still believe he's going to have a good career. That was Jets coach Robert Sala here on the NFL Report talking about Zach Wilson, former number two pick, who is now the number three quarterback for the Jets. And James, we're now joined by Mark Ross, former executive with the Giants and Eagles and our own Judy Batista. And Judy, I, I want to start this with you because will Robert Sala and GM Joe Douglas be judged more 
for missing on Zach Wilson or not finding an ample backup this season when it was clear Zach Wilson was kind of spinning the wheels of this offense? Uh, I think there's going to be plenty of blame on both subjects to go around. Uh, Certainly immediately uh, here in New York, I can tell you the conversation is about why didn't they go get somebody, right? Why is Josh Dobbs, was Josh Dobbs not a consideration? Um, uh, You know, and that was a conversation literally from the minute Aaron Rodgers went down in the, in the opener, um, or why wouldn't they go get when you thought they were, they had gone into the season planning for Zach Wilson to not play at all. So then when you're thrust into a situation where Zach Wilson's going to have to play all the time, why wouldn't you bring in a veteran? Um, they opted not to, uh, you know, they said at the time that he was the best equipped to carry them forward. It, it obviously did not pan out. I, I think though, um, when we all step back at the end of this season, um, you know, we'll, we're going to look at how could they have missed so badly on that draft pick? What were the circumstances that were in place that allowed them to believe he was the guy and not just believe he was the guy, but believe he was the guy and put him in right away? I mean, that is a big piece mm-hmm. of the Zach Wilson story is there was no development time, right? Like he came in and he was the quarterback and um, and there was just no safety net. And this year, Aaron Rodgers was supposed to be the safety net. And so when that fell apart immediately, um, it, it it was just set up for, uh, for nothing to go right. I, I do think, I'll say this, um, I think under normal circumstances after a year like this, you know, you would think maybe the head coach and the general manager are on the hot seat. I think as soon as Aaron Rodgers got hurt in the opener, Everybody got a pass for this season. Judy, I, I, I agree with you there. I think the missing on the number two pick to me is the biggest problem with Joe Douglas there, Robert Salah. Look, when I was with the Eagles back in 1999, we had the number two pick. We had a bunch of options. Achilles Smith, Cade McNown, Dante Culpepper. We took Donovan McNabb. We got it right. It changed the entire trajectory of the Philadelphia Eagles organization at that time. So when you have that number two pick, number one, whatever it is picking up there, and you have a bunch of potential franchise quarterbacks, you have to get it right. Because if you don't, then it sets in motion either positive things or negative things for your organization. In terms of the Jets, it set in motion a bunch of negative decisions that kept impacting them, leading to the Aaron Rodgers going all in on Aaron Rodgers. So when they did that, I thought, okay, great. Now you still got your number two pick there, Zach Wilson, to learn from this guy. So I thought that actually was wise for them to keep Zach around. They missed on him the first time around. Here's a chance to really develop him and get him right like they didn't do the first time around. And then when Aaron Rodgers got hurt and things got thrown into motion, well, now what do you do? We keep talking about Josh Dobbs as the savior of backup quarterbacks, but he's a a once-in-a-generation type guy of being prolific. And even teams passed Josh Dobbs around. So it wasn't as if everybody knew Josh Dobbs was going to be the Josh Dobbs we see now. Once you get to that backup quarterback and now you get to the third guy, there just aren't guys uh, you're going to pull off the street and say, hey, come save our season. So, you know, once it gets to that point, there's only so much you can do as an organization and try to find a backup quarterback to save a season. To me, it was all missing on Zach at two, which set into motion all these other things. Which leads the Jets again, once again, Judy, as you know, to the misery up there in the Meadowland. <laughs> and it's so interesting, Mark, with you saying that, right? And Judy touched on it as well. We are all talking right now in this season that it was going to be they wanted, and Judy mentioned this, Zach Wilson to sit for two seasons. They kind of wanted something to come out of it, hopefully like Geno Smith happened, right? Like that it would be some more time to sit and develop, and that all stemmed from the way the first season went as he was there, and then they bring in Aaron Rodgers, and they wanted him to sit for another year, and what he gets in thrown into his lap is playing right away behind an offensive line that I'm not sure, Judy, how many combinations they, they ended up playing out there in terms of an offensive line in front of him. A 38-year-old Dwayne Brown just playing a couple of games. Yeah, exactly, and, just, and a lot of different guys playing different snaps. And I remember being in that locker room in Denver after they beat the Broncos. There was some juice a little bit there behind going, if we play great defense, we run the ball well, we can manage this with Zach Wilson. But obviously, it it, it makes that turn, Steve, and it turns into a spot to where now the analysis 
is completely different than the way it was maybe five weeks ago. And everybody wants Josh Dobbs on their team. There's only one Josh Dobbs to go around, guys. And I'm not sure how many times we're going to say his name this NFL season, but it's way more than any of us predicted. Yeah, I just wonder if they got too glammed up with Aaron Rodgers' presence, even though he wasn't playing. Say, we can't bring somebody else in here. Aaron may not like it. He's trying to come back. What did that do, this guy we bring in? Huh. You made a mistake. All right, but let's move on. Real quick, though, we're talking about, uh, and Mark, you know, we were talking about this Monday. Coordinators, right? We're, we're moving on to some of these guys who, who came into situations this year, like an Eric Bieniemy who paid his dues, right? Who is the offensive coordinator in Washington. Like a Giro Evero, the outstanding defensive coordinators for the Carolina Panthers. But now their head coaches are in serious stuff, right? We, you don't know the footing underneath them. How do they deal with, and guys, especially in that situation, knowing their fortunes could be gone because they're head coach, not because of anything they did or didn't do? Yeah, it's uh, as we talked about Monday a little bit, you know, for minority coaches mostly, it's like, it's you, you, you have to take these positions. You see what's happening. You know the negative aspects of it. You know the inherent risks, but you have no other opportunities. And let's just talk about Eric Bieniemy, who could have was in actually the best position you could possibly be in the NFL, working for the organization, the best quarterback of all time at, at, at some point, uh, Hall of Fame head coach, stability. And then you have to go into Washington, which had the exact opposite and had the worst of all of these things, but he had to do it. And it's unfortunate that he had to be in that situation. And unfortunately, minority coaches have to take those positions and aren't just handed positions or are able to walk into positions. And each cycle, we, we say it's going to change. And each cycle, we say it's going to get better. But it doesn't. And to me, the great litmus test this year will be, you guys talked about the Eagles being the best team in football right now. Last year, the Eagles went to the Super Bowl. Their two coordinators, Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon, walked into head coaching jobs where they're talking about Jonathan Gannon's not even preparing for the Super Bowl because he's getting ready for his interview. Will this year, if the Eagles, best team in football, go win the Super Bowl? Does anyone think that Brian Johnson, their offensive coordinator, and Sean Desai, their defensive coordinator, both minorities, are just going to go walk into head coaching jobs? Does anyone think that? Absolutely not. So I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on that because I'm thinking they're going to have to scuffle and shuffle to beg for these sort of jobs, and there's not going to be teams handing them jobs like Steichen and Gannon got handed last year. That's a great point, Mark. That's a great point. I mean, I mean you, you know the way that the, the conversation, Judy, would go, right? Well, this is the first year we've ever seen mm-hmm. Brian Johnson calling plays at the NFL level. You know who else is calling plays for the first time at the NFL level? Bobby Slowick down in Houston, and his name has catapulted up towards the top of the discussion after calling plays just for a half of a season, just as Brian Johnson is doing. And I do know Dave Canales' name, you're right, Steve, is also one that's coming up. And there is a lot of respect for Sean Desai and what he's doing in Philadelphia, Judy, but you're right. It does seem like it's a little bit more sluggish, Mark, in coming out of that situation than some of these others. And to spin this in, in a little bit of a sense, Judy, I'm curious with what you know, Mark is saying, and defensive opportunities for head coaches. Jonathan Gannon gets one. We're looking at a spot where Sean McDermott and Mike Tomlin and Dan Campbell, those guys as defensive-minded head coaches with offensive now availability at the offensive coordinator play caller spot. And I mentioned Dan Campbell because we all think Ben Johnson's going to get a head coach. Maybe. Remember, Dan Campbell's, the Dan Campbell's an offensive in this guy. Cycle. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I get it, but that is a coveted spot in a sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, I look at these spots, Judy. What do you look at it from a coordinator perspective and what could be available to you even before we're starting this coaching cycle? Not the head coaching spots, but the coordinator spots that you could come available. And some are available now. Well, as Mark just said, you have to take these jobs, right? I mean, that was the... Eric B. Enemy's situation um, to a T. You have to take opportunity wherever it is, even if it is not the ideal situation. Um, you know, I, 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 um, I would say this minority coaches, I think, have been boxed in. And uh, especially, um, especially now with, with such an emphasis on it, um, there is going to be such a push to get minority coaches on what people perceive as a track. And so, 
if there are minority coaches who have an opportunity to be offensive coordinators, even if it is for defensive-minded head coaches, right? Like if you have a chance to be the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive coordinator, you have to take it even if you don't think it is the ideal circumstance for you, even if you maybe don't believe in Kenny Pickett or whatever the situation is. But these opportunities are few and far between. It's unfair. But Eric Bieniemy is a prime example of somebody who had to take a, I mean, a much less than ideal uh, job and is now facing the possibility that everything in that organization is going to get blown up at the end of the season. It's new ownership. They are probably going to hire a new head coach. And where does that leave Eric Bieniemy? Um, this is the cycle that minority coaches are stuck in. Um, and until they get unstuck and until there are owners who unstick them, that is where we're going to be. It is, it's bad and it's unfortunate. Mark, Mark, let me hit you with this. This came out of the conversation shortly after Frank Reich stripped Thomas Brown of the offensive coordinator of play calling duties. I was speaking to a, a black assistant coach in the NFL. And I was like, wow, this is second straight year Frank Reich has done something like this. Remember he fired Marcus Brady, his OC in Indianapolis. To which the answer was, well, at least he hired two black coordinators to fire and take the play calls from. What about that paradox looking at it like that? That's like the old Michael X quote. If you got the knife stuck on my back nine inches, you pull it out five, it's still in my back. You didn't take the knife all the way out. You know? <laughs> but that's, that's unfortunately, and again, we could, get, we could go on all day about this, and we have, and we talk about it every year, and the league office has tried to do a great job with it. There's been a lot of lip service that have, has done with it. But just the fact and the essence that all of these programs have to be put in place to give a – not even in fair shot, just a one in 10 shot or a, a quarter of a shot that their white counterparts get. And, and that's the unfortunate, the aspect of it. And really, again, that's why I keep talking about this Eagles uh, situation, because I guarantee you, if you didn't know anything about what Sean Desai or Ryan Johnson looked like, and you just saw what's going on there and, and know what happened from last year, you'd say, yeah, these, this should be the same thing once again, but it won't be. And the only factor is the race there, and the same with Eric Bianini, where it was excuse after excuse after excuse that would never add it up, but they just kept getting thrown at uh, at Eric uh, and other minority coaches. It's the halo effect uh, versus the horns effect where, okay, we look at all the positives with one guy, if, if you're talking about Slowick there in, with Houston, you just look at all the positives with him. But if it's someone else with Brian, let's just say Brian Johnson, just using him as an example, then you look at, well, he didn't do this. He didn't do that. They never get the benefit of the doubt. And it's always with white coaches where it's the positive of, of aspects that get talked about. We'll talk about the negatives. But with the black uh, minority coaches, it's, well, they don't do this. They don't do that. And we've heard that every single cycle. It has to stop at some point. Hopefully this one, this time it will. Yeah, I think Raheem Morris could uh, add a little something to that conversation. As well, hey, this is really good. And we're going to continue, you know, conversations like this here on the NFL Report as we continue to get towards the end of the season, even the postseason. Judy and Mark, thank you so much. Really good stuff. Great stuff, JP. Really appreciate that type of conversation. Awesome. Well, coming up next, it is a tradition like no other on Thanksgiving, and that is the Cowboys. Dak Prescott, he's playing like an MVP. We'll have our Gene Slater talk about Dak and the Cowboys. We come back on the NFL Report. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. There's no place that I would rather be on Thanksgiving than right here, right now at a football game. There's just certain things that go together, you know, the turkey, the family, the tradition, football, and we have it all today. Check out the lineup with three games coming your way all on Thanksgiving as part of the John Madden Thanksgiving celebration. Starting with the Packers-Lions at 1230 Eastern, 
Then at 4.30 Eastern, it's Commanders-Cowboys. Capped off with the 49ers versus the Seahawks. Well, we know who we see, Steve, every Thanksgiving on NFL Network. It's that smiling face right between us and Jane Slater. She is on each and every Thanksgiving with the Cowboys on NFL Network. And Thursday will be no different, Jane, as you got if you got the Cowboys and the Commanders. And I covered the Cowboys last week. Uh, we chatted a lot about it. And what we saw from Tony Pollard and company is another game where both teams not great against the run in the Giants and the Panthers, but we saw them run the football well yeah. now for two consecutive weeks. What are we going to see moving forward? Are we going to see them commit to the run? Because that's, I think, what everybody's curious about, that term, sticking with the run. Well, James, maybe Tony Pollard needs you to travel to Dallas for this one because you're a bit of good luck for him. This is how big <laughs> that gets for him, guys. Uh, he had two rushing touchdowns against the Giants in week one. And then after, we've been talking about where is this rushing attack. He's averaging a career low four yards per carry. But in that one, he had 61 rushing yards and he had the rushing touchdown. In fact, if you go back to week three, it was a loss. But he saw 70 plus yards there. We haven't seen that since then. So it's sort of been an anemic run game. Now, some of that has been some of the issues along the offensive line. The other is the fact that this passing game has really gotten going. I mean, we've talked about CeeDee Lamb's numbers this year at an elite level. But it was a couple of weeks ago that CeeDee Lamb and I had talked about some of his frustrations about not being able to get the ball. Well, he started getting the ball. And, and I talked to Tony Pollard about that. I said, do you want to get your game going? And he said, I'm confident it's going to happen. Well, it finally happened for him. And then when I brought that back up to CeeDee Lamb yesterday, he said he loves seeing that happen for him. You know, look, these guys have been confident. They know that their time is coming. We've seen that with Brandon Cooks this year. But for Tony Pollard and CeeDee Lamb, CeeDee said they sit next to each other. They watch film together on the road. And they've internally talked about this desire to get this rushing game going. Because, look, as they get deeper into the season, guys, and you know this, if they find themselves in the playoffs, which is looking like, Hopefully it's a fifth seed or a wild card for them because it doesn't look like they're gaining anything on the Eagles. They're going to need to marry that passing game with a run attack. So I think if anything, this gave him a little bit of confidence. And look, the pass rush for the commanders was really strong against the Giants last week. Maybe that's why we see a little mm -hmm. bit more of that running attack at home for the Cowboys. Yeah, Jane, and also when you open up a passing game, what does that do? It gives you a lighter box for the run game. The Cowboys are finally taking advantage of that. Well, let's flip it over to the commanders because we see once again... They're getting a little bit wayward. I know you spoke to some folks uh, with the team this week. What is kind of their focus to at least keep the ship afloat instead of making it sink? I think it's each other is the reason why they're still playing hard. I mean, Sam Cosme and Jahan Dotson, both uh, players I spoke with ahead of this game on Thursday. And I said, what do you play for at this point? You're four and seven. I know it's been a frustrating year. You've traded away some of your best defensive players, which essentially, as you guys know, sort of tells you that this team knows that this isn't it, that this isn't their year. We did still see this team step up defensively, albeit against the Giants last week. Frustrating that they lost that one when you consider they had nine sacks in that game, five in the first quarter alone. But Cosby just said, look, the frustrating part is if you look back to that game they played with Sam Howell, I think that was Sam Howell's first start last year against the Cowboys. Cowboys were favored to win that one. They went on the road. I remember this game very vividly. And then the commanders ended up pulling out a win. And I said, what did you learn from that? They said, well, the Cowboys committed a lot of turnovers in that one. They weren't able to move the ball downfield. They think they've been shooting themselves in the foot a lot this season. But they said that was an example for them of how they can play a complete game. I think what's really hard when you start looking at this team, I had to get our research department to double check this for me when I went looked at the stats. They see Sam Howell as a bright spot for this team. Big arm. He's learning on the job. They think he's getting better. But it's so hard to be better, guys, when you are getting sacked 51 times. <laughs> yeah, that complicates things. <laughs> the only guy that understands this probably any better uh, than Sam Howell, I can only imagine the amount of Epsom salt he has at his house. David Carr, back in 2005, he was sacked 68 times. But this season, he's got 13 more sacks uh, than the other team. 2002 uh, was the year for David Carr with those uh, 68 sacks, which is just incredible to me. But if that just gives you a sense of some of the struggle, yeah, you'd love to see what you're getting from your quarterback. Hard to see it when every time he draws back, he's getting pancaked. Yeah, well said. Well said. 
Well, yeah. Well, well, Jay, well, we can call right. we can call up David and ask him what that season was like, Steve. <laughs> real quick, real quick, Jay, you got ten seconds. Will be you be jumping in the Salvation Army bucket again? Oh, I did yeah. that one year, and you know what? I'm I know. Say after doing that once, Steve and James. It makes you really impressed with the athleticism of Zeke. I know a lot of people have knocked him in recent years. He doesn't look as athletic or spry, but it is very hard. To, that thing is deep. It's I'm five six. It probably comes up to about five feet. So you have to leap into that sucker. I'm getting older, boys. I don't know if I can do that this year. <laughs> yeah, all right, Jane. Thank wow. you so much and have fun. Appreciate it. Enjoy your hey, Thanksgiving. Appreciate it, Jane. I will say, I will say this. Sam Howell might jump inside that Salvation Army box just to you know. <laughs> Avoid Micah Parsons if he can. You know who's also playing tremendous football? We mentioned Dak Prescott down there in the great state of Texas. How about C.J. Stroud also playing phenomenal football? Remember, this is another monster divisional matchup between the Jaguars and the Texans. The Texans took the first one in week three, 37-17, Steve. And we know who the man is going to be on the sideline of this one. It's going to be Cameron Wolf, the guy who knows both of these teams inside and out we know he lives down there in florida but he also is a houston cougar steve right so he knows a thing or two about the houston texans down there cam and i talk about that team regularly cam what i'm curious about is i mentioned you being a houston cougar that's where tank dell was just tearing things up with at the collegiate level what is so special about this connection between tank dell and cj stroud that has taken the league by storm in a sense yeah, JP, it started back in draft season. You know, this is a guy, Tank Dell, who got knocked for his size, fell to the third round of the draft. CJ Stroud gets drafted second overall. Tank Dell FaceTime CJ, say, tell him to come get me. And CJ tells the front office <laughs> his first request as a franchise quarterback, go get Tank. And boy, was he right. Tank Dell is on pace to break the Texans rookie receiving record that was held by Andre Johnson. That's how what? good his season has been. Uh, if you want to I did not see that coming. <laughs> yes, absolutely. He has been incredible. His speed has been uh, remarkable for CJ. CJ loves to throw that deep bomb, and you just watch Tank and the creative routes he runs. He is always in the right spot for CJ. And so it's been the best rookie connection in the league so far. And it really sparked week three. Their first big game was when they played yep. this Jaguars team. They beat them deep. They beat Darius Williams, the Jaguars corner, a couple of times for those deep bombs. And that's all you need to build that confidence for that connection. And I expect them to try it plenty on Sunday. Tank Dell, five catches for 145 yards and a touchdown in that game against Jacksonville. Cam, let's flip it over to the Jags. I mean, yep. this is a this is a huge game for them, right? They're leading the Absolutely. division, but if Houston wins, now they've got the sweep of the Jags. They're getting, you're getting into some tiebreaker scenarios right here. When we when we look at the Jags against an opponent like this, they sensed success, and that was the big question: is could they handle it? What are people right. talking about and saying? Don't get comfortable down the stretch, or something in terms like that from the people you've spoken with leading into this game. Yeah, the big question for the Jaguars is figuring out how to get their offense right, because surprisingly, over the first half of the season, it's been their defense that leads the NFL in takeaways that's been really carrying this team. And so they're trying to figure that out. This past week against the Titans was probably their best offensive day in a while. Trevor Lawrence had four touchdowns, two on the ground. And yeah, the Texans are a team they can't hold lightly because honestly, they haven't beat the Texans. They've lost five out of their last six games against the Texans. So this is a team that's had their number. And so I don't think they'll look at this team with anything other than this is a team in the way of us winning another AFC South title. One thing I want to key on Stephen James is Calvin Ridley's presence in this offense. This year, he hasn't had the impact that I think a lot of people did. He's had some down games. And one thing when you look into the numbers, you notice is that he is second in the NFL in facing press coverage. Teams have figured out they want to be physical with them, disrupt them off the line of scrimmage, and they think that it'll it interrupt his game. And so far, they've been right. The Texans were one of the first teams to do this in their week three battle, got really physical with them, and Calvin Ridley did not have a good day. He dropped two passes, he slipped on a route, and the Jaguars' offense was all out of sorts. This packed week against the Titans, the uh, offensive coordinator press Taylor moved Ridley around a little bit more, got him away from press coverage. He had a huge day, over 100 yards and two touchdowns. Very eager to see how the Jaguars-Texans matchup goes on with those two battles. Texans should have Derek Stingley for this battle, which they didn't have yeah. in week three. That's a big point, Cam. It's a big point. In about 30 seconds, I'm, we got to run. I, I'm just really quick. Are the Jags concerned about the turnover issues with Trevor Lawrence this year? 
Absolutely. I think one thing you'll see is when they didn't have his mobility after that knee injury early in the season, I think they felt like teams were taking advantage of their offensive line, which has been a suspect. And you saw Trevor be a little bit impatient in that pocket, not really having the time clock. And so their hope is they can move the pocket like they did last week and minimize some of those turnovers. But yes, it was certainly a big talking point into bye week of we've got to figure out a way not to kick ourselves in our own, our own shin. And so I, I do think you'll see Trevor on the edges more. D'Amico Ryan said that's where he's the most dangerous to try to avoid those turnovers. Love it, man. Cam, I'm jealous of you. I wanted this game. This game's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. It might be the game of the week. It might be the game of the week. <laughs> Cam's gonna, it might be the game of the week. You're right, Cam. It might be the game of the week, man. Have a good holiday. Tell the family we said hello. Happy Thanksgiving, Cam. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. All right. Happy Thanksgiving, buddy. All right. Coming up, to sticking with that Thanksgiving theme, as Steve and I wrap this up, what is one thing that a team or a player or a coach might be thankful for when the end of the season rolls around? Steve's got one. I got one. That coming up next on the NFL Report. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Let's close out the NFL report so Steve Weiss can get to his dressing and turkey and all of his fixings because I know he loves this holiday. Steve, let's close this out with what is something a team or a player or a coach might be thankful for at the end of the year? For what happened during the year, I'm going to go with the San Francisco 49ers at the end of the season are going to be thankful for the three game losing streak that got them kicked in the butt in a sense. And they restarted their season and now are playing with a vengeance at the most important time of the season. We're going to be thankful for unless they don't get home field advantage. The Philadelphia Eagles are going to be thankful (laughs) that they made the trade for Kevin Bayard. As we saw Monday night, he got his first pick with the team and he can cover tight ends. And if you look at teams like the Niners and the Lions, they got good tight ends. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. JP, Jeff Collette, and all of our crew behind the scenes, happy Thanksgiving from the NFL Report. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.